James chapter 4 will be our main text from today, and I'll read that whole chapter for us here in just a little bit. But last week, as we started out the service, I read from James chapter 3, um, and this week, I'm not going to read James chapter 3, but James 3 and James 4 are kind of connected. In fact, they're, they're very closely connected. They're the thought process that flowed from the heart and mind of, of James that God gave to him to communicate to us this real wisdom that you and I are going to need in this world. We live in a real world with real problems. We have real relationships, and sometimes we really, really mess things up. Anybody been there? Amen. Been there. That's right. Sometimes we, some, we just mess things up so badly. Or if you want to be positive about it, sometimes I mess things up so good. I'm so good at messing things up, I want to be positive about things. But what I find that often happens is when I think Joel has the answers, is that that happens the best when Joel thinks he can figure it out. When I don't think I need to rely on anybody else, wisdom or advice or counsel from any other place, and that gets me in an awful lot of trouble, Last week we talked about there's an important distinction between intelligence and wisdom. It's how we apply the knowledge that God gives us, which I really think makes the discernible difference between the two. My classic example is that intelligence is knowing that a tomato is technically a fruit, and wisdom is not putting it on anything because they're gross, but especially in a fruit salad, okay? Don't put tomato in a fruit salad. We can't be friends. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just can't do that. You'll ruin it. You'll ruin it. But this series, as we've been going through the book of James, it's all about God's wisdom and how that is to be applied to my life. Not how I'm going to bend what I want and try to kind of fit in what God has told me is right and is best, but how I'm going to take everything that God has told me and apply that to every part of me. And that God gives us his wisdom and that's to be bestowed upon us and we're to take it upon it and use it in great big, huge amounts. We don't want it in little small doses when there's a problem. It's not like spraying just a little bit of Windex on the mirror in your bathroom. Maybe you clean the mirror in your bathroom on a regular schedule. Maybe you clean it whether it needs it or not. Or maybe you only start to think about cleaning it when you can't see yourself anymore. And it's not important who is who, okay? We're not here to talk about that this morning. But what happens, I remember mom always telling me growing up, she said, Joel, you don't need an awful lot of Windex. I think as a kid, I would take the Windex and spray, 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 spray that blue garbage all over the mirror. And she said, Joel, you just need a little bit. What you need is some elbow grease. You need to spray it on there. You need to work. It's the elbow grease that does the work. See, a little bit of that Windex goes a really long way in cleaning the mirror, cleaning the counter. But I think I get myself in trouble when I try to apply God's solution to my life in the same way. I'll just, I'll just use a little bit and I'll do the rest of the work. In the same way, if I get a cut on my arm, the smart thing to do is to put some triple antibiotic on it. I know that's not the tough thing to do, guys, but you know, whatever. The smart thing to do is to put some triple antibiotic on my arm and cover it in a bandage, and it's much better the next day. And you only need a little bit, and it helps a lot. Now, it doesn't do me any more good if I pour the whole tube of triple antibiotic on my arm. If that's the case, I probably need to go talk to Brian. He works in the emergency department, and there's something that's going on. But if I feel like I need that whole tube of medicine on my arm, just putting a little bit on the cut is going to get the job done and cover it. If I squeeze the whole tube out, it doesn't get any better, any faster. But where I think I get into trouble is that I try to, try to take this less is more attitude with the Word of God. And with his wisdom that is to be applied to us, or like triple antibiotic medicine, it's given to us in dosage, and there are instructions, and if we lived long enough, 
we might know, well, this much isn't going to work. I need to take this much more. But there are instructions on medicine for a reason. You can get into the reasons more detailed than I can even possibly understand. But if you take too little, it's not going to do anything. If you take too much, it could kill you. And if I put that triple antibiotic in my eyes, well, that's probably not going to feel very good. I have not tried that, and I don't think I'm going to. Because if you put it in the wrong place, it's not going to intend its purpose. But when I come to God's wisdom in this real world, and we have real faith for real people, and you and I have problems that we desperately need help with, this limited scope application of just getting by with as little as possible with God's Word doesn't fix the problem. God's word is to be applied to all of me and all of God's word to all of us. And the problem with that is it's overwhelming, right? That is overwhelming. That all of God's word that I am to, to, to try to know and to try to understand and to try to impart in my heart so I can live it out in my life. But again, that's the outcome that I want, but I'm not going about this on my own. That you're not going about this on your own. That we have other believers in Christ who are gifted with the indwelling of God. We call that the Holy Spirit that teaches us, that guides us, that convicts us, that allows us to understand what God's Word says. And you know what? If the person sitting next to you, it's not just them that holds the Holy Spirit, but if you're following after Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And that's why, that's how we can understand God's Word. That's how we can even begin to attempt through God's work power at work within me to live my life in a way that's honorable to God. To take this wisdom that he has and to help us become spiritually healthy. I want to become spiritually healthy. It's obvious when I'm not quite as physically healthy, we get tired, we don't eat right, our clothes shrink in the closet, or they, however that works, those, those things become kind of obvious. Maybe we just get rid of closets, that'll solve the problem, right? No more closets, everyone. No more clock. But spiritual health, now it has indicators too when my spiritual health is going bad. Sometimes it's just not so obvious to us, but a lot of times what I find is it's obvious to the people that I spend time with. It's obvious to the people that I am around. And if you're here this morning like me, I would make the assumption that you want to be spiritually healthy. And can I tell you something? God wants for you to be spiritually healthy. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of your family and for the sake of everyone that God's going to bring into your life so that we can shine the light on Jesus and we can stamp out darkness. This world's got enough darkness. It doesn't need any more. It doesn't need, and that's why I don't need and you don't need in your life, these little dark corners that we try to, to hide from God and we hold on to ourselves. Last week from James chapter 3, there were two main points, and I'll revisit those. I talked about things that healthy people do. Healthy people choose wise words, or people with a healthy faith choose wise words, and people with a healthy faith choose wise friends. What we say and who we spend time with is in, uh, drastically important. And according to James 1.22, wisdom manifests itself in what I do, the things that I live out and I do, the things that the Bible says that I know that God says I should do. So James 3 and 4 together, they list, they list some things that are unwise, some things that we should not do. An uncontrolled tongue is what James 3, that was the most of what we talked about last week. Some other things that are unwise that go together from these two chapters are an uncontrolled tongue, quarreling, friendship with the world, and boasting about tomorrow. You see, but when, when we fight, sometimes we fight the wrong enemy. 
I want you to look, look at the person sitting next to you. Just take a minute and do that. Look at the person sitting next to you. Now look at the person on the other side who you don't like as much as the person you looked at first. And, and then you can turn around and look at the people behind you. Okay, but now say this. Look at the person next to you and say, you are not the enemy. You are not the enemy. Like, okay. You are, okay. There, there you go. There you go. All right, John Bailey might be the enemy. The rest of us are not the enemy, okay? Speak out, you get called on, John. That's just how it works. Okay? But we fight the wrong enemy too often. We fight the wrong things. And we expend all of this energy in the wrong areas. And I really think that's what our main enemy wants for us to do. He wants for us to focus on things that aren't the main things and argue about things that ultimately when it comes to, the, to salvation and the end of life as we know it here that aren't going to matter. We need to battle the enemy. We need to not battle our family. And we need to be really careful. I need to be really careful about that. And from James chapter 4, the enemy, he, he tells us about there's these three sources of our problems and they are our own passions. They are the world and it's the devil. These are the enemies that we need to be fighting, not each other. Now the text, the scripture from James chapter 4, that's what we're going to talk about today for the rest of the time that we have. In James chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and we'll read the whole chapter together today. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5 continues, it says, Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us but he gives us more grace therefore it says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Verse 11 continues. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you? To judge your neighbor. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Now, if you spend a little bit, little bit of time around Christians or in the church, we realize that sin is the thing that we're trying to avoid. 
And oftentimes, it's not that we're trying to avoid sin as much as we're trying to pursue Jesus. And when we're trying to pursue Jesus, the natural outcome of that is not going to be to sin. But in this lifetime, as I understand it anyway, uh, this side of heaven, we're going to fall short and we're going to mess up. But what God tells us is that we are to avoid sin because we're pursuing after our Father and trying to live with the wisdom that He gives us. So if I know something that I am supposed to do according to what God has said and I fail to do it, it becomes sin. And it becomes a reason that Jesus had to die on the cross. So with knowledge that comes from God comes a great responsibility that it's not just what I know, but it's what I turn around and what I do. So just through the lens of James chapter 4, our enemies aren't the people sitting next to us, and even John. John is not our enemy, nor any of the people sitting next to him that he offended by saying that, okay? I don't care who you're pointing at, John. They are not the enemy. My cats at home, they might be a part of the enemy, but they are not the enemy, okay? They're not here. We're talking about something else. But the enemy that we have, it's our passions, the world, and the devil. Our passions. They're selfish. We have these fleshly desires, these things that we want, these things that consume us, these things that we can't think about or do anything else because we're so consumed with me, I, my, my favorite. We have these desires and these passions that wage war within our hearts. James talks about this in chapter 1 where he says, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he or she is dragged away and enticed. God does not tempt. We are tempted by our own evil desire. So there's this refrain that goes through the book of James. It's all connected together. And sometimes I can lose track of that if I'm just, hey, we're reading chapter 4, and last week read chapter 3, and a couple weeks ago read chapter 1. But they're all together. And especially with a small book like James, it's a great chance to sit down sometime and just read the whole thing. It doesn't take all that long. It's only five chapters, and it's really not super complicated. I know there's some books of the Bible you're going to read, and some of the things you read across, and you go, what? Some of it gets a lot more complicated. James isn't one of those. But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy for us to live out. But when we read the whole book in its context, and we know everything that James said, we connect James 1 to James 4. That we are tempted by our own evil desires when we are lured away by that. So these things that we should be fighting are the passions that are inside of us that wage war. When we seek only our own fulfillment. Now James, I don't think he's saying that we have to fight against all desire or pleasure. These things in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad. But it's when they become all-consuming necessities that we begin to seek f fulfillment at the expense of others. And at the expense of God's will for our lives, that they become an evil enemy. Or I've said it this way before. When I elevate good things to ultimate things, they become destructive things. If I take something that is good and I make it an ultimate, it becomes destructive. Whether that thing is good or not, it becomes destructive. If I put something in a place where it doesn't belong, my priorities are messed up. That my desires get messed up and my desires towards things and I want them, then when we want things more than we want God, we put more weight in those things and we'll do anything we can to get that or to achieve that or to get that status. And we neglect God along the way. But if we want things more than we want God's love, what are we going to pursue? We're going to pursue the things that we want. And Scripture tells us that our hearts are evil. We have this tendency to sin. I'll say it this way, that my heart is evil and I have a tendency to sin to not to do the things that God tells me that I should do. And I think, the thing, or I know the things that we should pursue, his love, his presence, his holiness, his people, his calling. If we want it badly enough, and sometimes we want it now, we better, people better get, of our, get out of our way, because if we're going to go after God, he's going to come after us. God is pursuing you. 
and hopefully we're pursuing after him as well. Sometimes when it comes around church, we might think about the same things. It can can become what we want or what we think is best or what our experience is. If only we'd seen these songs, if we only did music this way, if only the music was faster, if only the music was slower, then I would really get out of church and worship. Then it would be meaningful. Then I would get what I want. If only the preacher would change his sermons, amen, right? If only the preacher would change his sermons, life would be so much easier. I could understand the Bible better. If only he told more jokes, I could pay attention more. If only he didn't tell so many jokes and he read more scripture. If only he didn't read so much scripture, I can't follow along with that. He really needs to bridge the gap between what the Bible says and my life today. Well, he really just needs to quit telling stories and that he needs to read what the Bible says. It's hard to follow. If only it were more biblical. If only it were more practical. If only there were other ways that I could grow spiritually. I could get more about what I want. But you see, part of the problem, and I think the, the biggest part of the problem is that when we see That when we see other people is the key to getting what we think that we want. You see, the question shouldn't be, what do I want? The question should be, what I need. And God in his wisdom, which is much greater than ours, has told us what we need. And I think I need to replace the I want with the I need, because God has told us what we need. And God has told you what you need. Because wants change. And as long as I keep seeing people as the key to getting what I want or keeping me from getting what I want, our lives, our church will be filled with fights and quarrels and we'll never get along. We'll never find the right church, the right pastor, the right class, the right temperature, the right pew, the right parking spot, the right anything else if we think other people are the key to getting what we need from God. See, friends, God is the key in that. And our passions get in the way. They cause me to seek the wrong things from the wrong places. Kind of like the old country song, or looking for love in all the wrong places. Trying to get from something, out of something, that it was never intended to give. You see, we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and we want to fill it with pleasure or money or power or education or status or relationships or things or popularity, but none of those things is the right shape to fill that void. Sometimes we might feel like it fits for a little while, but after really not too much time passes, it's pretty obvious that that's not what we need. Our passions and desires, they point to a real need that we have in our life, but because of my sinful nature, they drive me to fulfill those needs in wrong ways with wrong things. It's easy to buy into the philosophy our culture tries to tell us. Well, if it feels good, just go ahead and do it. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad as the song goes. But our desires, when they're fed by our sinful nature, they're not a voice to be followed, they're an enemy to be slain. And we have to fight against those passions that we have. Enemy is not other people. A lot of times the biggest enemy is ourselves and the passions that we have, that I have within me. And if we go back into James chapter 4 and we look at at, at verses 4 to 6, We'll come across the second enemy that we face. He introduces us to this, this thing that wants to rip us apart, and it's the world. The world wants to rip us apart. The world wants us to have nothing to do with Jesus. James 4, 4 to 6 again, it says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that there is no purpose to the Scripture that says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, God, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Sometimes we might think friendship with the world is when we make compromises too much. Well, I know the Bible says I should, I should honor God with my finances, but I'm not going to. Well, I know what, what God says, and I'm following after him, but it just makes a whole lot more sense um, if we move in together first. We just save more money that way. I know what God says about sex and marriage, but I've got a better way. It's just more convenient or whatever we're going to do. When we make these compromises, we get ourselves in trouble. When we try to limit, when I try to um, limit how I apply God's truth, I get in an awful lot of trouble. But all of us can, can become guilty of having this friendship with the world. People who go to church every week and go to Sunday school and go to Bible study and pray and pray for other people and who try to pursue God's word. And I think the problem that we have a lot of times isn't just the actions that we have, that our actions do say a lot, but it's the attitude that goes behind the actions. You know, why are we doing those right things? Now, there's going to be seasons in life where I have to do the right things even when I don't want to because my heart can get into a wrong place sometimes. But our attitude can get us in an awful lot of trouble. It's a worldly attitude that looks in things at the church with worldly wisdom, and we could seek to solve problems the world's way of doing things and try to ignore the wisdom that comes from God. In this world-friendly attitude, it can help us produce those fights and quarrels among us. There was an example a couple years ago about a church in a little town in Georgia back in 2015. Um, there was a disagreement between a 103-year-old lady and the preacher who was there at the church, and he... Um, pastor sent a certified letter revoking her membership from church and banning her from ever attending the church again. Now the members met after that happened and they had a vote to terminate the preacher and he refused to honor their vote and he said he filed a restraining order against the people who had the vote to try to kick him out and as it turned out they tried to fire him about six years earlier but he just refused to accept the firing and he stayed there anyway and um, this really happened. I had no idea, nor do I really care what the fight was about and who was right and who was wrong. Honestly, they were probably both wrong. But this is an example of how we don't live like the world. Hey, well, I can't, you're not listening to me. I'll get a higher authority. I'll get a restraining order. I'll get you fired. I'll get you kicked out to show that I show. We don't live and fight and act that way. That's a worldly way of doing things. The Apostle Paul invited the church before it. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage moral wars, as the world does. We've got to quit looking at the worldly ways and getting what I want. And God gives us a better way. God's way always supersedes the world's way. Now there's some issues, there's some things that might come up in life where there's not a correct order of thus saith the Lord, or you have to do things this way, and you, we can take some wisdom that comes from the world. But and God clearly tells us how we're to behave and how we're to interact and how we're to give and how we're to sacrifice and how we're to love and how we're to be patient and how we're to be kind and how we're to treat other people. I dare not be so bold as to think that I've got a better way or somebody has a better plan than what God has. Because what the best of the world can give you is a cheap substitute for what God offers. The world offers us amusement, and God offers us, offers us deep, abiding joy. The world offers us money, and God offers us all the riches of the heavenly realm. The world offers us the security of deadbolts and alarms, but God offers us peace and rest. The world offers us knowledge, and God offers us wisdom. The world offers us sex, and God offers us oneness and intimacy. The world offers us popularity, and God gives us. The 
offers us fame, and God gives us eternal glory. This world can never give you what is only available in God. That's why our enemy is not the person sitting next to you, but my enemy is the person inside of My own desires and passions. My enemy is the world that is around me that doesn't want me to follow after Jesus. That's trying to sell me cheap knockoffs of something that's not going to last. What James tells us is that we can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time. We have conflicting interests. James tells us that when we snuggle up to the world to get what we want, it's kind of like it's going to take place. Well, I can't get what I want from here, so I'm going to run over here and get it. It's not on my timeline or how I wanted it. So that's what I'm going to do. When we seek from the world what only God can give, how do you think God can give? What do you think that does? God. This world is not a friend. It's the enemy. Verse 7, we read about the third enemy that's in here. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near God, and he will draw near you. Cleanse your hands from sinners and purify your hearts. And don't move. It says very clearly, it's not complicated. It says, resist the devil, and what? He will flee from you. Pursue after God, and he will what? He will come to you. Friends, it's not complicated. And what the devil is always trying to get us to do, and perhaps you've heard it said this way before, the biggest lie that he's ever said is trying to convince people that the government exists. If we don't see the work that he's doing in our own passions, if we don't see the work that he is doing in the world that is around us, he just assumes keep it that way. So we don't see the things that he's up to. But it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil, he's really been here this whole time. He's where these passions and desires they come from. These other two enemies, the world and the passions that are inside of us. He'll use those to tear us apart. He'll use those to keep us from focusing on Jesus. He'll use us to convince us that there's another way that God doesn't know and we let our defenses down. We'll let Satan into our lives and into the church and do the worst that he can do. But it's one thing for us to diagnose the disease, it's a whole other thing entirely to cure it. You see, there's a problem, and we might admit this in general terms that we have a problem, it's a heart problem. And in my heart, I don't always want what's best and right and good. I don't want to do what's wrong sometimes. I don't want to do what's wrong. But God tells us that that's how it's real. The problem is we live in a world that's offers us so many other ways, so many other alternatives to give us everything we want. The problem is those are just cheap substitutes for the great things that come from our heavenly Father. He wants the very best for us. So how do we cut out the disease? What's the cure? James gets the same. Verse seven. It's not overly complicated. Submit yourselves then. God. This word submit is similar to the word originally used, since it seems like God wants to go that way. Not a coincidence, but submit is a language, the word borrowed from the battlefield. It's military term. You're choosing to submit to a higher authority. It means, this word submit means to put into proper order and rank. The military only functions. Well, on the battlefield, if there's a proper chain of command, it's, it's important to submit to the one that is over you. We are to submit ourselves to God. You're the alternative. It's just a terrible idea. <coughs> is this the God? He will flee. 
cleanse your life. Wash your hands. Stop living that way. We go down in the verse 9, it talks about how we're going to have sorrow over our sin, not trouble, not upset, we've got thought or wrath that can't have fun anymore. But the genuine sorrow for being less than bright. For hurting people around us in our sin, for hurting God when we sin, for hurting ourselves. We don't want to justify our sin. We don't want to excuse it. We don't want to blame somebody else when we mess up more and we broke and admit it. I made a mistake and saw Can you please forgive me? That's how we're to live. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. You're not going to talk to you. We pray. Father, I pray that we resist the devil in all of the forms that he takes. And all of the ways that he tries to deceive and to hide in the background so that we don't recognize the work that he is doing until the fruit is produced and it's, it's heartbreaking. Father, thank you for this wisdom that addresses the problems that we face today and tomorrow morning. In this afternoon of life. And on Thursday morning, when we get mad at somebody that we love and we want to act out. Father, I pray. That we are changed through your spirit, by your word, because of Jesus. Father, may we resist the enemy, you will cause him to leave us. And God, may we draw near to you, and you will come to us. Father, thank you for being here for us all the time. In Jesus' name.